0: It's Friday, September 2nd. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Pitbulls are banned in Prince George's County, but a Beltsville woman wants to change that. Her lawyer filed a federal lawsuit against the county rule, WTOP's John Doman talked to the so-called dog lawyer about the case.
1: He calls this the Salem witch trial. You know, he says they're basically doing the same thing, trying to determine what is and what is not a witch just by looking at it. And you're doing that with a dog right now.
0: And did you know that Maryland has the most recorded accounts of successful escapes along the Underground Railroad? WTOP's Kate Ryan talks to a historian who recreated the journey along this treacherous trail, starting in Montgomery County
2: to look back at what these people went through and to realize the raw courage that it took to make the decision alone right. to try and flee and find yourself a better life.
0: Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. Megan Clority is off today. Pitbulls, you either love them or you might be a little scared of them, maybe somewhere in between. But for a quarter century, it's been banned to own them in Prince George's County, Maryland. That means you can't own a Staffordshire Terrier, American Pitbull Terrier, or an American Staffordshire Terrier. And if you do, you know, the county's gonna take him away. That's what happened to a woman in Beltsville, Maryland, but she's now suing to get rid of the 25-year-old ban on pitbulls. WTOP's John Doman met up with Denise Venero and one of her dogs this week, and he brings us her story. John, thanks for being here.
1: Absolutely. So let's
0: start with Denise Venero's story. You know, her two dogs, Mimi and Bella, what happened to them, and why did Prince George's County take them?
1: So this all goes back to an incident, I think she said it was July 4th, where her two dogs got out of her yard, got into an altercation with a neighbor's dog, and there was, you know, vet bills were involved. It, it wasn't a pretty altercation. She got bit by her neighbor's dog, she says. Um, and she takes full responsibility for it. She knows that what happened was basically her fault. You know, she paid all the fines that are associated with the incidents that happened like that. But, you know, you mentioned those three types of breeds that are considered illegal in Prince George's County. Her dogs don't fall under those under those breeds. Mm. Neither of that. What got her was the part of the law that also says um, dogs with distinct traits associated with pit bulls. And it's all a look test there. Some uh, according to her and her lawyer, somebody looked at her dogs and decided they look too much like the pit bulls that we have in question. And so that's why the county tried to seize them.
0: It's kind of tough because you're essentially arguing something that's very subjective.
1: In a little after 16 days at a kennel in the county, which, you know, they got, she says they got sick in that kennel too. They were moved to her boyfriend's house in Anne Arundel County for a couple of weeks. Long story short, she got her dogs back. And after going through the hearing with the the county's animal control service, it was determined that her dogs were not actually part of the pit bull breeds that are considered verboten in the county.
0: Right. And let's back up to that moment, you know, when her two dogs escaped, a fight kind of ensued. And so someone from Prince George's County kind of came out and just took a look at these dogs. And that look was enough to determine for them to be seized and taken away. Is that is that right?
1: Yeah, I guess while they were being detained and investigated, somebody made the determination that these were pit bulls that were illegal in the county. Mm. Now She's got uh, for one of the dogs. She she has documentation.
0: We had adoption records. We had statements from the dog owners of Mimi's parents and we knew that our dogs were not pit bulls. So it was just crazy hearing about how they go about these breed evaluations.
1: And they've, you know, offered to do DNA testing to to show that these dogs were not the pit bulls that are illegal in the county. And I get where the ban is trying to come from, you know, especially when little kids get mauled, often it involves pit bulls or whatever. But I mean, I was with these dogs for almost a half hour the other day, one of the dogs at least. Right. Not a single bark the whole time I was there, (laughs) much less a snarl or anything else like that. There was, you know, there was a little sniffing and investigating, but, you know, these were very mild-mannered dogs, and
0: right. And you kind of took us through the story of these two dogs, you know, being taken away, and then they had to go to you know Venero's boyfriend's house in Anne Arundel County, where this ban does not exist. What did Venero say about this experience of her dogs kind of having to be shipped around her own home because of this law?
1: Well, I mean, it's certainly it's led a lot of anxious moments and frustration and worries. These dogs are actually certified as her uh, emotional support animals as well. She has a, a medical professional who has that letter that, that says these dogs are legal, which is also part of the lawsuit. You know, for almost a month now, you're dealing with the worry that your dogs are going to be seized and taken away. And she's had these dogs for eight years now. It's part of her family. I, I think anybody that has a dog, especially that long, right, understands the bond that is there and, and how they become part of the family. She's had them for that long. Knowing what the law is in the county and adamantly believing and and having proof that in documentation in terms of when she registered the dogs with the county, that these were not banned dogs in the county. She knew about all of that and had to go through it anyway. And it was very frustrating and very worrisome for her. And so ultimately,
0: how did she prove that Bella and Mimi weren't pit bulls and how did she ultimately get them back from the county?
1: it was this few hours long hearing and the person from the county who testified in that hearing was not the same one who made the initial determination Mm. which may have played in the role obviously i wasn't there for the hearing but she did send me a copy of the final decision and it just bluntly said she was not guilty of having these illegal dogs not guilty of having a dangerous animal she was ordered to make sure that her her yard was better secured with fencing and that sort of stuff
0: and venero's not alone here she's not the only one who's had her dog seized by the county
1: you know some people have had their dogs in the county detained for several months now um i think she i guess just put up more of a fight than other people typically have she filed the federal lawsuit before that hearing happened
0: right and the fight still continues uh, even though mimi and bella those dogs are back in her possession now a lawyer, a kind of a nationally known lawyer, Richard Rosenthal, who is kind of known as the, quote, the dog lawyer, has taken up this federal suit that she is mounting against Prince George's County. Can you tell us about what's behind this federal suit that's trying to now just take away wholesale this pit bull ban in
1: Prince George's? He is quite a character. He's, he's based out of New York. And, and as you mentioned, his website is the Mm-hmm. He filed this lawsuit on behalf of her back in July now, before before the August hearing that got her her dogs back. And, you know, I mentioned the uh, the, the emotional support animal aspect of it under the Fair Housing Law Act. But for him, it's also just sort of an, an equal protection thing. She, he's bringing in arguments surrounding the 14th Amendment. I think mean, the Fifth Amendment, considering that dogs are property and the county's just seizing property. The way he basically puts it is that they're relying on an unscientific test to determine what a pit bull is Mm. you know they offered to provide dna that's not something the county uses to make that determination according to them it's all just a looks test
0: i mean what Uh, stood out to me was he compared the prince george's county process to the salem witch trials i mean that that, is quite a comparison john
1: (laughs) yeah that that, i was just exactly going to go there with it he calls this the salem witch trials and that you know back then they just you know they looked at it and that's a witch and you know, he says they're basically doing the same thing, trying wow. to determine what is and what is not a witch just by looking at it, and you're doing that with a dog right now, and he, he thinks there has to be a better way, that there has to be some sort of an objective analysis done that, that proves it, and there has to be some sort of scientific basis, and right now there is none of that, and so at that point he's just saying, scrap the whole law because you can't do it that way. Right. They're in settlement talks right now. Okay. According, according to the court documents, there is a, a a non-disclosure agreement when it comes to all these settlement talks. So I have no idea right.
0: information's kind of behind closed doors at this point,
1: right? Like how those settlement talks are going. I don't know. I don't know what they're getting at, what it could lead to, but I, I know that the goal of this lawsuit back in July was to get rid of this law mm. and the lawsuit is still in effect. And there's a settlement talk under discussion right now. Wow, We know the County has tried to over, you know, has debated, getting rid of the law in the past. It's been brought up. It has never had the vote to the county council level to to rescind the law. That's something they would like to do. Whether that's being talked about in, in the settlement, I don't know.
0: Right, and when we look around the DC area, there aren't a lot of bans like this. You know, Virginia down south, they have an all out law that disallows any county from distinguishing breeds as being bad or banning them. Same thing in D.C., but Prince George's County does have this ban. For those who advocate for this law, what do they say? Do they say it's for public safety? What's the justification for it?
1: Over time, there's been some some bad cases where where people, and children especially, were mauled by these animals. And, and look, this is all anecdotally. I don't have the data, and, and I know people who are, are pit bull lovers. Right really get defensive at this. I've known some, I've known some that would not live in Prince George's County because of the law. Right. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to tread carefully here, but anecdotally, it seems that a lot of times when there is a, a bad mauling and something bad happens, it seems like it can often be at the hands of an animal that's considered a pit bull. Right. So I think that was the intention behind this law, whether it was an accurate assessment of of what is and what isn't a dangerous breed. I can't tell you that. Certainly, there are pit bull lovers out there that will say, no, that has nothing to do with the dog and more to do with how it's raised and and who the owner is. But needless to say, that's where this all came from originally. And here we are 25 years later, and and that's still in place, at at least at the moment.
0: Well, John, we'll see how this plays out
1: in uh, the courts. Keep us updated. We'll see where the settlement talks goes. I'm 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 sure this is not the last we've heard about this current situation with Denise and and the dog lawyer. John, thanks. You got it, Ben.
0: After the break, how a Montgomery County man followed the footsteps of Americans escaping slavery along the Underground Railroad.
2: Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives.
0: Thanks for listening to the DMV Download. If you like this show, give us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcast.
2: We love hearing from you guys, and your reviews really do help other listeners find this, our area's only in-depth daily local news podcast.
0: And thank you for making us a part of your day. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has declared September as International Underground Railroad Month, and for good reason. Not only is the Underground Railroad an example of perseverance in the American story, but Maryland also has the most recorded accounts of successful escapes along the Underground Railroad. And in 1996, a Montgomery County man traveled in the footsteps of those who freed themselves along this path, going as far as to put himself in a crate. WTOP's Kate Ryan talked to Tony Cohen about this journey, and about the Underground Railroad in general. Kate, thanks for being here. You got it. Thank you. So first off, who is Tony? And tell us about his journey.
2: Well, Tony Cohen is an historian. He lives in Montgomery County. And in 1996, he had pieced together some of the pathways along the Underground Railroad in Montgomery County. And again, I think it's interesting. We don't think that as we travel the county... We might be going along the same routes that right. people who were seeking to free themselves traveled uh, not so very long ago. So he managed to create a route from Sandy Spring, Maryland, all the way up to Canada Whoa. and decided he would make that trip. And he did it on foot and by rail and I think some by water. Um and he tried to make it as realistic as possible. But of course, as we were talking about it, he said, "I'm a modern guy <laughs> traveling in modern times." Right. So he, when he talks about what he went through, he, he makes it clear there's no way he can a- experience the peril that these people were in, um, because the stakes for them, I think it's we have to remember, were so incredibly high. To
0: be blunt, no one was chasing.
2: Yeah, exactly. Him. No one was yes. And so back then you would see in – and many of the routes today in Montgomery County have historic placards that will show you the kind of newspaper advertisements that Mm. were placed by people who were trying to take back and kidnap legally. It was legal at the time too. I mean this is the mind-blowing part of it, right, that the law said you could do this. You could take these people back into slavery. So – Yeah. Again, I just I like to kind of, you know, encourage our listeners to think about what it was really like for these folks.
0: And tell us about the lengths that Tony Cohen went through to kind of recreate this journey. I mean, there's talk of a crate. What's that?
2: This was he modeled a part of the trip. Well, he tells the story of he was in Philadelphia talking to young students about the Underground Railroad. And they said, what's the most perilous journey that you've ever heard about? And he talked about a gentleman.
0: Henry Box Brown, a man put inside of a crate and mailed by train to Philadelphia in 1849.
2: And he thought, you know what, as I'm doing this, I ought to see if I can make that happen. So he got friends of his to construct a crate for him that was just tall enough to sit up in um, and maybe curl his knees into his chest. Mm. It did allow tiny slits of light through. Um, and he had that uh, – he had himself placed in this crate and boarded an Amtrak train from Philadelphia to New York City.
0: That was did Amtrak know or did he just put you the know, crate I, on? I don't
2: – I honestly don't know. I have to – That you ask a very good question. I should go back and ask him about that.
0: But he put himself in a crate. That, that we know. He had
2: himself placed in a crate and shipped just as this man did in mm. 1849 to get a sense of what that must have been like. Um, And he notes with a little wry humor that he happens to be claustrophobic. So (laughs) it just but and again, I don't mean to make light, but, you know, we're we have our modern sensibilities and our own sense of freedom that we, I think, often take for granted. And again, to look back at what these people went through and to realize The raw courage that it took to make the decision alone to try and flee and find yourself a better life. And we do have people in the state, Harriet Tubman, born in Dorchester County, who made that trip over and over again. Um, she was known as the Moses of her people mm. um, and and her engineering and ingenuity of how to escape um, certain dangerous areas and, and how to work through cajoling sometimes the people in her care to continue with the trip. Because you can imagine yeah. that you might have second thoughts about maybe this is too risky.
0: Right. I mean, you might run over that newspaper clipping and see you know all these demands and and these search parties that's that must be terrifying
2: yeah yeah so i, I think this is part of the i think it's a, a wonderful thing to be able to celebrate The people and the pathways that were carved through the state, and it is funny, uh, all over the state, western Maryland, the eastern shore, and right through Montgomery County as well.
0: Mm, mm. And did Cohen talk at all about, you know, he reached Canada. What did that mean? What did he feel when he ended that trip?
2: He described the feeling as elation, pure elation.
0: So many actual self-liberators had gone through that spot and, you know, just trying to imagine what it must have been like for them.
2: And knowing that, having that sense of, you're home free now. Wow. You're, you're really home free now. And again, he's recreating yes. what happened. But he d- he said also he just could kind of feel the charge of the – he was on the very trail that these other folks had traveled to their own freedom. Mm. And he used an interesting word too. He talked about them as being self-liberators. And I think that's very instructive because I think we tend to think of them as runaway slaves. That was the language that was used when I was studying this history. Mm. And he said, you know, they made a decision, a concrete move on their part. They weren't passive in this. And that's important. And I'll say that as a former teacher who taught African-American history.
0: And Cohen is a president of an organization. Can you tell us about what that organization does and what they're doing this month?
2: It's the Manair Foundation, and it is um, based on preserving the history of the Underground Railroad. And it's housed at the Button Farm in uh, Montgomery County on the grounds of one of the state parks there um, in Germantown. And you can visit. It's a living history um, foundation. And they uh, do all kinds of programs on educating people about the legacy of the Underground Railroad. What other ways can we learn more about this? All over the state, there are things like Underground Railroad walking tours. There is one called We Walk with Harriet History Walks, where, again, you can get educated about Harriet Tubman, her story, and the pathways that she took. There is birding along the Harriet Tubman Trail because part of that area is Blackwater State Park, which is well known among birders. But it was a route that she traveled. And her family home is in, in that area as well. They've um, since found her own family's home or father's place, I believe it is. So, uh, again, there are ways you today can get a feel for the heritage behind this. And again, I think that quest for freedom that is such an American value.
0: And that quest for freedom was made on the ground we walk on today, and we might not even know it.
2: Exactly. You could be literally walking along these pathways and, and again, in, in Montgomery County on Moncaster Mill Road, you know, you're driving along and there are even driving tours that you can take mm. to throughout the state. So it's a very, very rich history we have in this area. And Maryland, uh, the governor wanted to highlight that this month. I believe it's the fourth year in a row that he's made that proclamation.
0: OK, thank you for bringing it to us.
2: You got it. Thank you.
0: And before we go, have you ever feared the zombie apocalypse or maybe you just want a fun place to hang out with friends? If either of those is the case, you're in luck because there is a sweet-looking lighthouse up for sale in the Chesapeake Bay. The auction starts at $15,000, and it looks like it's going to stay there because, as I said, no one has bid on it in the past month. It's 120 years old, it's four stories, and it sits four miles offshore off of Dorchester County. Now, There are a lot of caveats with this lighthouse, despite its beauty. I mean, it definitely has that industrial chic thing going for it. First off, the U.S. Coast Guard needs access to it because it still operates a light atop the lighthouse. Second, it's registered as a historic place. So if you own it, you've got to maintain it. That's more money. Third, you must sign a memorandum of agreement with the U.S. Navy because the Navy uses the waters around that area for training exercises and you don't want to be in the lighthouse when they're doing that. And because of that, you can't stay in it for 24 hours. You can't sleep there. So it's really just, you know, a place to boat out to, hang out in, or go away. Now, again, I guess if a zombie apocalypse happens, all those rules, I guess, would melt away and you'd have kind of a nice backup situation, maybe catch fish off of it. I don't know. Or you could just use it as a cool hangout place with your buds. Regardless, if you are interested in this Chesapeake Bay lighthouse, you have until September 21st to submit your bid. And uh, if you do, you'll be alone because no one has made a bid yet. I just clicked on the little auction link. Still 15K, old lighthouse. Check out the photos at WTOP.com. Michelle Bash did a pretty sweet story on this little old, lonely lighthouse. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. We're sponsored by SteamFitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab. Our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance while you're at it. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. You can also follow us on social media where we're posting content every day. You can find out more about this podcast and become one of our VIP listeners at DMVDownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 1035 FM in the D.C. area, 1077 FM in Virginia, 1039 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com, and of course, on the WTOP News app. Have a great Labor Day weekend. This show will return on Tuesday for the long holiday. Have a good one. See you then.